Um, and so glad to be here with you. I am speaking this morning. Um, Want to just remind you of a few things before I start. Pastor Bob started Grow Together this morning, and so we give him a break if he is working in the morning, um, and I speak in lieu of him. But I want to remind you that we have uh, kind of posted our life groups and gone live with those. Please engage in a life group. I forget how many. I think it's like 16 or 19 or something. We had eight, Was it 18? We've got people walking. We've got Bible studies, coffee on Tuesday mornings for women, young adult married, young adult single. We've got everything. We've got a biker's club. We've got a dinner club. So there are no excuses this time. I'm going to be looking for names. I'm going through my directory, seeing what you signed up for, because connection is critical. It's critical to your walk. It's biblical. You need to connect with people besides just your family and just those we're coming together with on Sundays and that interaction. We're also going to be uh, involved in the NAMI walk again this year. You can join that team, and we'll kind of scroll these announcements at the end as well, so you can see, you can always find this on Facebook and our website. And also, the Corn Roast Car Show is coming up. We need volunteers to work in different stations. We're only asking for you to do something for a half hour or an hour, so if you go to the Welcome Center right after um, service, there are sign-up sheets there. Just fill in your name. Um, we would appreciate that. That would be so helpful. Um, so for today, I want to start out just sharing a little story from last weekend. Ella and I went to my family reunion in Berlin, my grandma's family reunion. And uh, this reunion has been going on for, for generations. I'm fifth or sixth generation. So we went to Berlin, Ohio, which is in Amish County, if you don't know. Um, and typically when you go to Berlin, you're going to drive through some country back roads and, you know, that's fun and you get to see things. But mostly you can find a main road or a freeway. For some reason, Sunday morning, Ella and I decided we were, you know, going to come back for church. So we had already planned that. And I set my Google whatever to go and I'm just, you know, we turned on our worship and we're singing. And for some reason, Google Maps decides I'm going all back roads. But I don't know this yet. So I'm just like, we're starting off the drive, and I'm like, Ella, look at the beautiful sunrise. Ella, look at the beautiful lush fields. Isn't it beautiful? She's like, yeah, Mom, it is. Well, after about 20 minutes, I'm like, I don't remember seeing this when we came down here. I don't remember this. And you know, she's like, I go, doggone it, if this thing isn't taking us two hours the back roads. And I'm getting aggravated, number one, because if you know me, that means the speed limit has been reduced dramatically. <laughs> I don't like that. I like to go fast. And I have to keep that in check. But this time I had to go slow, not just because the speed limit, but if you know Amish town, you know there are some obstacles I must go around, right? So here I am on the road going slower than I want, needing to get to church, and I have to navigate the horse poo all over the road. I'm thinking, I just got my car detailed. I'm not going through this horse poo. And once I started complaining out loud and not just thinking about it, we suddenly come upon a carriage 
with a group of Amish, and they're dressed in their Sunday best. I mean, they're just, they're decked out. They're all matching, and they're in a carriage. And I just said to Ella, oh my gosh, look at that family. Like, they're all decked out. They're headed to church. That is so sweet. And so as we go further, I'm coming upon group after group after group. But these, these groups, the next group was young people, six teenagers. They're not in a carriage. They're walking. And they're literally walking through the same horse poo that I'm driving around in my air-conditioned Highlander with my sunglasses. <laughs> and they're waving. And it wasn't just like, hey, there you are, you Yankees, like, see ya. It was a happy, kind wave. It was like, hey. And each group that we passed had this countenance that did not represent the path they were walking on. Because I could imagine taking my family walking to church in 80-something degrees in full garb among the horse poo. And it would not look like this. It would look like this. And Bob does that all the time when we go somewhere and he doesn't like something. Um, So we have to take the car for him. No. But I know that my family would probably not look this way. The more groups I saw, the more touched I was, but even the more convicted I became. These people had no excuses for church. Not the smell, not the dark-colored hot outfits they had to wear, not the carriages with no air conditioning, not the fatigue they definitely had to feel after the type of work they do all week. Because I'm not hanging my clothes out to dry and wringing them and going, no, I'm not doing that. But this type of labor... They faced conditions all week that are much harsher than anything I do. It was clear this would have no bearing on their Sunday. They were set to worship. And I thought what a lesson we could learn from them. The conveniences we enjoy enjoy make attending church just so extremely easy and comfortable. And yet, most of us have been guilty of still allowing weak excuses to keep us out at times. Today, I want to talk about excuses. Um, This isn't about church attendance, so don't get all scared. Pastor Bob didn't send me up to get you to come every week. (laughs) Maybe that's something you could work on. But excuses, what place should they have in a Christian's life? I love my Willy Wonka up there. You got to bring candy in somehow. That's the only time I'm going to mention it. I'm going to start by reading John chapter 5 verses 1 through 3 and 5 through 8. It says, Afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city near the Sheep Gate was a pool of Bethesda with five covered porches. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on the porches. One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him and knew he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, would you like to get well? I can't, sir, 
the sick man said. For I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. We're going to stop and pray just for a second. God, I, I thank you for your word. God, your word is absolutely the most important thing in the world. I pray right now for your anointing, God, on what I'm going to share, that it would be led by your spirit, not by any personal agenda or ideas or opinions, God. Open our hearts and our ears this morning in your name. Amen. I want you to know this story is very precious to me. Um, I'm a very compassionate person, I feel. And one of the issues I actually struggle with is if, if I see extreme suffering, I can become so emotionally torn up, it almost paralyzes me. Like, I just, I can't take it, God, I can't take it, and I'll start praying, and I'll just, I can't enjoy what I'm doing. I almost become unable to function. And I've watched this very scene um, from the Gospel of John on The Chosen. Do I have any Chosen fans out? Oh, yes. Oh, I'm, I bought myself a hoodie, people. I asked for it for two years for Mother's Day, and my kids were like, I knocked I'm like, I'm buying it. I'm buying it for myself. So I have the hoodie. But they do such an awesome job of showing the humanity of Jesus and the relationships between him and the disciples. You'll fall in love with Jesus all over again. So watch it. But um, I watched this scene, and they did such a good job, I actually almost turned it off. I told my parents I was getting so mad watching this lame man pull himself to the pool in agony time after time. I was like, okay, God, heal him. You know, I was just, I was getting so upset because they did such a, a good job of portraying this. Um, my heart goes out to him and the life he became accustomed to, the dignity that he had lost and the hopelessness that he must have been feeling. However, what caught my attention about this passage in God's word for us today is how the man responds to Jesus when asked if he wanted to get well. Jesus asks, do you want to be well? He responds, I can't. I have no one to put me in the pool. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. Jesus, the healer, is standing in front of him, and he simply asks a yes and no question, do you want to be healed? He doesn't answer the question. Instead, he starts making excuses for why he's not healed up to this point. No one will help me. Everyone goes in front of me. In other words, the man still believes getting in the pool is his answer, even though it's provided him nothing up to this point. He's looking for his healing to happen in a certain way and doesn't even realize his healing is standing in front of him. Jesus does not respond to his excuses. It, it cracks me up. He doesn't have a sit down with him about how horrible it is that no one would help him get in the pool or that somebody else got what he deserved to get. Jesus speaks boldly and clearly to the man's heart. 
he tells him, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. It's an awesome statement. Jesus ignores everything he's saying about the location and the situation. And he tells him, I want you to take ownership for where you're at right now and where you want to go. Do you want to be healed? He's saying, you get up, you pick up your mat, you go forward. Then look what happens in John 5, 9. One statement in contrast to how long it has spent at the pool. It says, instantly the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. But this miracle happened on the Sabbath, and that leads us into a whole nother sermon because the religious leaders were mad he healed him because it was the Sabbath. We'll save that for another day. Although the passage is primarily about healing, I believe we can see some principles regarding excuses in this passage. We've all done it. We're guilty of blaming other people or citing our unfortunate lot in life are out-of-control circumstances for why we can't answer Jesus with a yes when he shows up and tries to call us. It's hard to imagine that the lame man intended on staying at the pool for any length of time. He probably went there hoping he would go get healed and he would move on and do the things he dreamed about doing once he got rid of this condition. He sets up camp at the pool, and it ends, be, ends up becoming where he's going to dwell. I can't help but think of similar stories that have played out in front of me with those that I love or know. So many of us can find ourselves feeling crippled from an experience or a condition or a traumatic event, something someone has done to us, or just recurring disappointment over and over and we check out on who we're supposed to be in God. We check out of our calling so we can take a rest and lay by the pool till something changes or someone comes along and changes the situation for us. Only to find that years later, some of us are still sitting by the pool. And the only thing that's changed is we've become more complacent or more resentful, or maybe both. We're still too busy to give our time. We're still too hurt to trust people and connect like we know we should. We're still too burned out to contribute our gifts and talents. We're still too strapped financially to obey God in our giving. And it's been years. But we said, when I come out of this, when this changes, when it gets better, but we're still by the pool. When we're focused on our circumstances more than God's truth, we tend to come up with excuses. However, when we choose to focus on God's truth about every situation in our life, we can boldly go to his throne, the throne of grace, and we can ask for his help. Scripture tells us two things. Hebrews 12 tells us, fix your eyes on Jesus. Get your eyes off of all the situations and circumstance, circumstances of your life that have caused you 
to feel resentful, to feel like you need to back away. He says, fix your eyes on Jesus so you don't get weary and you don't lose heart. And Hebrews also tells us we can come boldly to the throne of grace and find mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. We must pursue the will of God in our life with no excuses. This only happens when we fix our eyes on Jesus and we look to him to give us the help that we need. Jesus was giving the lame man an opportunity to change his life, to be part of a miracle. He was offering him a gift. And he was asking, do you want me to take control of your life? Do you truly want to leave this place you've become comfortable in and accustomed to? But the lame man responds, I can't. This is not the only example of I can't in the Bible. While reading the Bible, you're going to find multiple examples of people just like us that felt like they couldn't. They couldn't do what God was asking. I want to share some of those with you this morning. In Exodus 3, we read about Moses. Moses was in the wilderness, and God called out to him from a burning bush, and he tells him, my people are in despair and suffering, and it's breaking my heart. I've heard their cries, and I'm choosing you. You're going to be the vessel that I use to go and speak to Pharaoh and free the Israelites from their slavery, from hundreds of years of slavery that God had promised deliverance from. He goes and he tells Moses, and Moses does one of these, like, oh, who, me? I'm the one you're calling? He actually says, who am I? Those are his exact words. Who am I? We see almost the exact same response from Gideon in Judges 6. The Midianites are oppressing the Israelites. They're ravaging the land. They've taken everything. They've killed their livestock, and anytime they plant something and it grows, as soon as it's ready for harvest, they come and take it. They're starving. They're in a life and death situation. An angel shows up to Gideon. And Gideon is found hiding. He's hiding. And the angel greets him. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Hiding. In the, in the wheat press, I believe, where he was threshing wheat. Gideon's reply. Who, me? Again, are you talking to the right person? How can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest, and I'm the least of my clan. I'm a nobody. You can't be talking about me. Moses doesn't see himself as enough. Gideon doesn't see himself as enough. The truth is, by all accounts, they are not the most qualified for the job. They know they're unprepared to lead such an incredible campaign. They feel inadequate for such a holy and great responsibility. But God sees it differently. He calls them in spite of their inadequacy. He wanted to show them who they were in him, not who they were. Essentially, both men were saying, we're not enough to do what you're asking us to do. I would ask you, what has the enemy been convincing you is not enough about you? 
Or better yet, and probably more appropriate, what have you been convincing yourself disqualifies you from how God wants to use you? Because the devil gets a lot of credit, but a lot of times we're talking ourselves out of what God's telling us. Fill in the blank. I am not blank enough for the task. I'm not prepared enough. I'm not spiritual enough. I'm not educated enough. I'm not brave enough, respected enough. I'm not seasoned enough like other people I see. Maybe I'm not available. Don't have the time to do what God's calling me to do. Excuse number one, I'm not enough. Excuse number two, what if? Oh, this is a fun one, right? What if, what if, what if? My daughter's really good at this one. I'm like, Ella, if you come up with one more, it'll be like, I'll, I'll answer her. Well, what if, you know, what if we have a test today? Then God's going to help you and you're going to do awesome. Well, what if I fail? Who cares? You'll take another test and get an A and then it'll be even. But what if the next test, like, oh my gosh, I cannot. And this is what we do. Moses says, what if they won't believe me or obey me? He is fearful of how the people are going to view him as a leader and whether they will follow him or not. I can, I can attest that is a very valid fear because nothing is worse than taking lead and turning around and no one's following. It's a real downer to your, uh, your leadership. That is, a, that is a valid fear. And for Moses, it's even more valid because he has no credibility or experience with these people. They're not his friends he's, he's calling to lead. They're a mass of people that God is sending him to. Moses does not have the credibility to warrant people following him. Gideon, he is found and he says, pardon me, Lord, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hands of the Midians. Gideon is also fearful. The same cause, fear, but for a different reason. Because he has the love and respect of the people God's asking him to lead. But the problem is, he believes the people are angry with God for what they perceive as God not showing up. He doesn't want to be the one to step up and say, hey, guys, by the way, I know God seems like he's been gone, but like he's speaking to me, and now I'm going to do stuff and you're going to follow me. We're going to go to battle against the Midians. We're going to come out of hiding. You're going to come with me. It's going to be great. He's afraid. Sometimes it's hardest to step up in obedience when we're asked to do it when it's with those closest to us versus a complete stranger. Those around us know us best. They know our weaknesses and our failures. They know when we haven't stayed the course or followed through. They may not believe in us. And we can be fearful of what they will think when we try to step up out of the shadows and answer God's call. Remember, Gideon was found hiding. But now all of a sudden, he's a mighty warrior God has chosen. 
He may not have looked like a mighty warrior to those around him, but yes, God said he's a mighty warrior. So that's the truth of who he really is, not how he's been behaving, not how the people of of, um, the Israelites saw him at that time. He was who God said he was. There's always going to be what ifs in your life. You are never going to be in a place where you do not have a what if situation that's attached to obeying God, ever. So can I ask you, what is your what if on excuse number two? What's the fear that's holding you back from surrendering to God fully? I've mentioned this study so many times, but I don't care. I'm going to mention it again because it's so good. In a Beth Moore study on Esther, she poses a question at the beginning, if blank, then blank. And you're supposed to think of the thing you fear the absolute most happening to you, and you're supposed to put it in the first blank. So if this happens, she kind of takes us on a couple-week journey before we get that final answer, and then she finally fills in that second blank. If blank, then God. Period. The answer to the fear, no matter what it is, will always be God. Always be God. God responds to Moses and Gideon. He answers their what-ifs. He literally answers them. To Moses, he flat out says in Genesis 4.18, the elders will listen to you. So he flat out gives them a response. To Gideon, he says, I will be with you and you will strike down all the Midianites together. So the people will rally with you and you will accomplish what I've told you. But even after God directly answers both of them, they continue to come up with more excuses. All of their excuses are based in fear. Fear is the antithesis of trust. When we make decisions out of fear, it's a direct indication of a lack of trust in God. When we try to manage our situation without listening to God's voice, it's a lack of trust. When we try to tell God who, how what he's asking doesn't make sense, that's a lack of trust. We have to learn to trust the one who loves us more than we could imagine and begin to let go of fear. Excuse number three, my circumstances won't allow me to obey. God talks with Moses, tells him he's the one, starts, you know, kind of showing him how he's going to help him, giving him promises of how he's going to lead him. And Moses is like, okay, aha, one more thing, God. You did say I was going to be a spokesman, correct? I was going to speak to Pharaoh and they would listen to me. I would love to help you but I have a speech impediment. Perfect, right? You can't be a spokesman if you have a problem speaking. We don't know exactly what it was, but there are scriptures that talk about stuttering. There are different types of scriptures that indicate the nature, but we know he had a problem 
with his speech. He has a medical condition. He's not the guy. I think it's hysterical how we try to inform God about our issues. Like, let me tell you about me. Okay, sit down. I know you, you want to use me, but I got to tell you a few things that are happening. We want to tell him about our medical conditions, our family problems, our mental battles, our failures. As if God doesn't already know who he has called. The Bible says the very hair of your head is numbered. You were formed intricately, every single detail, including how you're wired, including anything that you may not like about yourself, your body, your brain, your mind. At this point, it seems to me there's kind of like a little flip. God starts getting ticked. He's like, listen. We keep going and and having these conversations, and you come back with something different. Here's what he says to Moses about this excuse. Who placed a mouth on humans? Who makes a person mute or deaf, seeing or blind? Is it not I? Now go. With exclamation points in the Bible. I will help you speak. I will teach you what to say. I feel like God is saying enough. It's time to quit with the excuses and go. Exclamation point. What is the circumstance we're allowing to separate us from our calling and our service? Excuse number three, fill in the blank. My blank prevents me from fully obeying God. My health, my marital situation, what's going on with my children, the conflicts I'm having in the church, my relationship, my failure. What is it you've convinced yourself absolves you of God's call to you? Because if he didn't think it disqualified you, who are you to declare a disqualification? He has redeemed you. He has called you righteous. He has chosen us, a holy people. It's his job to sanctify us and give us the ability to do what we cannot do. I listened to a sermon last Sunday by Pastor Daniel Floyd called Come Out of the Cave, and it was awesome. He talked about how all of us are under pressure and how pressure will do one of two things. It will refine you or it will confine you. A diamond is a great example of pressure and how uh, pressure is used in the refining process. The diamond endures an unbelievable amount of pressure to become a diamond. Without the process, it will never become valuable. There are certain things that can only happen in our character and in our walk when we come under pressure. We have to stay in that pressure. We have to get into the refiner's fire in that immense pressure in order for anything inside of us to be able to change. God has given us free will. 
And sometimes instead of staying in the fire until that pressure is relieved and God has done what he wants to do, we can run and hide out. Or we can take up residence by the pool like our friend did at the beginning. We can feel sorry for ourselves and start blaming those around us. If they would have helped me, I could have fulfilled my calling. If this wouldn't have happened, I would be in a different place in my life. In the story of Gideon, we find the Israelites were so exhausted from the constant pressure of survival that they went and shut themselves up in caves. They just went and hid. God had called them to be the conquerors of the promised land, and here they are hiding in caves. Pastor Floyd shared, for some, the caves went from simply being a cave to a prison, and then the prison became a tomb. It's not a stretch to believe that in those conditions, if you stay long enough in that place, it will become a tomb. Pastor Bob's been talking about Peter the last few weeks, and Peter is a great example of someone who chose the refiner's fire over the cave. Peter failed Jesus miserably. He betrayed him in his greatest time of need. And Peter was overwhelmed with sadness and regret. Judas did the exact same thing. He betrayed Jesus in his final days, right? And Judas was filled with sadness and regret. But Peter chose to take that moment and use the rock like a stepping stone. He stepped out of his failure and stepped up on the rock. He chose to run to the rock. He chose to use that failure as something in his story. Judas allowed that to become a tombstone for him. When all alone, he could have stepped up on the rock. I'm not sure what situation or condition in your life has caused you to sit in a cave. But I want to warn you. The enemy's consistent MO is first to isolate you from the body of Christ and second to sever you from your calling. I, do, I don't want to offend any of you. I love you all so much. But I feel like I have to warn you because I've seen it play out so many times. The first thing the enemy will convince you of when you're going through a difficult time is to back away from your church family and to give up your post in ministry. I'm not sure how we become convinced that ministering once a month on a Sunday is going to help us in our situation outside of church. But we buy into that lie. We do. Church is the first thing we will cut when our schedule becomes overwhelming. Tithe is the first thing we will excuse when money gets tight. And using our gifts is the first thing we will give a rest so we can figure out our life situation. There's a reason your flesh is inclined to shrink back. The enemy is deceiving you in your time of weakness because he knows there's purpose in the pressure. He wants you to shrink back from the pressure little by little. 
starting with little contributions you think you need to let go of until it's a better time. But little by little becomes years of you sitting idle, waiting for everything to be fixed in your life. You begin shrinking back from your dreams, your calling, God's promises for your life and your future. In the words of Pastor Floyd, don't allow a season to turn into a life sentence. The cave will become your home if you're not careful. You'll become comfortable with it, used to it, okay with your new surroundings, and you'll never move out. What makes the most sense if you're in your spiritual right mind is not to shrink back when the pressure increases, but to dive into the refiner's fire. Seek God more, give more, empty yourself of you. See what it's like to have God completely fill you when you're empty. When we're in a place of despair or confusion or disappointment, we do not need to be hiding. We need to be among the family of God who remind us of the truth. We need to remain engaged in service to others. And listen, I'm not talking about legalism. I'm not saying that a different season in your life serving may not look different for you, because it does. God changes in the seasons of our life what we're doing for God and how God is using us may look different, and that's okay. But God changing a season in our life to look a little different, as Bob would call it, a lateral move, not a backing away move, but a now I'm going over here, now I'm going over here, not now I'm stepping back. That's never of God. But in a lateral move, you will not be retreating to a cave. I have so many spiritual heroes in my life, I want to show you one. We have our picture. I have so many heroes. I'm so overwhelmed with gratitude to God for the amazing people he has put in my life. Why is she my hero? Half of you probably don't even know her. Is she famous? Nope. She's faithful. She was faithful to me as a little girl, and she was faithful to me when I stepped up into ministry as a co-pastor with my husband. She never hid in a cave, ever. When her life changed dramatically for the worst, and she went through a horrible battle with cancer and eventually died from that, she did not hide. She simply found a new way to minister to people. She never used her condition as an excuse to stop using her gifts. She texts, I don't know how many of us, day after day after day, encouraging words, prayers, This is her picture during chemo of serving at the egg drop event, which I begged her not to do. So go for like a total contradiction of my sermon. (laughs) I was just telling her, look, we understand medically you can't do what you once did. That's okay. But she wanted to be there. She pushed herself. She said, I can do this one thing. I share this because if we stop using our gifts and stop operating in our calling when we feel the circumstances of our life become difficult, we will miss the opportunity 
of seeing how God operates when we're truly empty. You can't possibly know the difference between operating in your own gifts and strengths when you're on top of your game. Because a lot of that is you can make up for things, right? We can kind of use our, um, our own skills, our own talents that God has given us. But there's a difference when you're completely empty and you start operating in the power of the Holy Spirit. That is something I don't want any of you to miss. In closing, if Brendan wants to come, I just want to share a final excuse, and we're done. Excuse number four, we finally get the truth from Moses. I don't want to. Right? All this buildup, all these reasons why, 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 why. In Genesis 4.13, I am not willing, here's what he says, please, Lord, send someone else. Right? Sometimes our I can't is I don't want to. I believe God is sufficient to provide in order for me to fulfill my calling, but I just don't want to. I believe God can restore my marriage, but I think I'm done. I just don't want to anymore. I know God could begin to heal me if I forgive finally, but I don't want to. I know what it means to obey, but I'm not there yet. I just don't want to. Hey, been there been there. I had a wrestling match with God for a couple years over an issue I prayed about that he was not answering. And I've said from that point on, once I was done with that match with God, I walked with a limp. Just like in the Bible, I wrestled, 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 wrestled until I finally surrendered. Okay, I don't get it, but I trust you love me. I'm done. I'm done. I don't want to fight anymore about it. It amazes me how the enemy convinces us it's easier not to follow God than it is to follow God. That's such a lie. When you're walking in obedience to your calling, you will find purpose. You will find significance. You will find true joy and fulfillment. Life is still going to bring all the what-ifs. You're still going to have heartache, challenge, sickness, pain. These things are not going to end until we leave this world. So if you're waiting for a break, it's not coming. I'm not trying to be the (laughs) gloom and doom because here's what I'm telling you. These things come into my life too. But you know what? I look at them and I'm like, insignificant because I got my eyes fixed on what I'm here for. I'm eternally, forever and ever and ever going to live with Jesus, my Savior. So if for a temporal, my finances aren't happening, okay, going to die and doesn't really matter anyways, right? Where my money goes? I mean, 
if sickness eventually, I'm here, God, heal me or give me the strength to get through this, but I fix my eyes on you. All of this pain and heartache, you begin to see it differently when you obey God and you walk with him. Step by step by step. What would you have me do? I'm in, God. I'm in, yes. My answer is always yes. What do you want? Yes. Where should I go? Yes. I'm available, God. I'm available. We can't live with excuses because we're the ones that are going to pay for it. God has a perfect plan. For all of you that have a problem with your want to, I have a very simple answer for you. It's found in Philippians. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. If your want to is broken, as I've said before, he can fix that too. If it's just I don't want to, come humbly before his throne and be honest. God, I just, there's something in me that just doesn't want to. Can you fix it? Can you help me? Can you return that passion, that desire, that love, that will to serve, that will to honor you and spend time with you and surrender? Jesus went to the lame man because of compassion. He went to him. He said, this isn't the place for you. The place you've decided to take up residence and lay, there's nothing here that's going to heal you. And if you want to do a study into that pool, look it up. It was a Greek pagan site. Healing was not there for him. Healing was in Jesus Christ. And Jesus came to show him that. Let's just close in prayer. Lord, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for your awesome love for us, for your compassion. God, I think it's cool how we just, we, we sang about your relentless love. So many times we have all given you reasons why we just can't do what you're asking us to do, what you're, you're prodding us to do, what you're challenging us with. And still, you, you keep coming back, chance after chance after chance, pursuing our heart and telling us we're not who we think we are. We're who you've called us to be. There's more inside of us than what we see. And God, that we could just surrender so you could reveal the fullness of who we are inside, God, what you've placed inside of us. I take authority over any discouragement, condemnation. God, I pray that you would just restore within us a fire for your word to serve you, to honor you, to pursue who you've called us individually to be in this world. And we thank you and we praise you, Lord. Amen.